Okay, good morning, folks. Uh, my name is Eric Vellum, and um, this is Christ Only Ministries, spreading the Word of God worldwide and beyond. Uh, just for a little side note, beyond and beyond. Uh, that's from my uh, from my hero there, uh, Buzz Lightyear, when he goes uh, to infinity and beyond. I really love that intrepid little astronaut, and, uh, and so that's where I get and beyond from. I just had to throw that in there. So, um, for this message, I'm going to take us all back to the very beginning of our troubles. And that would take us back to the Garden of Eden, to that place where God formed man out of dust and gave man a woman and he gave them some commands. He said, all oh, this is yours. All I have here is yours. Uh, partake and, and be happy here. For this is paradise. Except for one thing, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat from that. Everything else is yours to enjoy and to take delight in. But human nature being what it is, that wasn't enough for our, our original uh, couple. And so they were tempted by Satan or by the serpent to uh, take more than what God had, uh, had given them. They wanted to be like God, and they wanted to uh, share in that knowledge of good and evil. And uh, the serpent, Satan, convinced them that God was only doing it to uh, to just for the uh, capricious person, or the capricious reason of keeping them out of the loop, so to say, and. Uh, Denying them the divinity that is that was rightly theirs, and so they listened, or at least Eve listened to uh, Satan's uh, temptings and his siren song, and she believed him because uh, she saw that the fruit looked good and it was pleasing to the eye, and so she partook of it and directly. Uh, countermanded or directly violated the one boundary that God placed upon this couple and that was to stay away from the knowledge of good and evil and he didn't do it as a capricious command he did it so that could, they could remain innocent but now that innocence has been stripped away she tempts Adam Adam partakes and the whole thing starts to circle into a uh, into a uh, ruinous calamity right up to the present day. So in their efforts to be like God, they became, in a sense, demonic. They succumbed to the siren song of, uh, of the serpent, and they wanted to be like God, and in fact they became the very opposite. And so what we see here in the beginning is this, is this sin. And this sin causes self-consciousness. The sin causes awareness of, of evil. And the sin causes, uh, causes confusion in them. And all of a sudden we see them hiding from God. 
because the relationship they originally had with him of, of trust and obedience is now ruptured, and now they're hiding. They don't want to be seen by him. And so God, in the, in the cool of the day, is walking through the garden and says, Adam, where, where are you? And finally Adam appears to him and he says, uh, we, uh, we hid because we were afraid. And God says, Adam, what is it? What is it, Adam, that you have done? And Adam blames Eve and Eve blames the serpent. And then God pronounces their future of toil and hardship and difficulties. All from this original sin. And so now we see this relationship, this beautiful trusting relationship, or at least that's the way it started out with until until the serpent got a hold of their imaginations and, and put that, that seed of doubt into them and it, and it took root. We had a, a, a trusting relationship and now we see a ruptured relationship. Now we see something that's been damaged. Now we see something that has been clouded over. And that same that same uh, relationship of trust and love can can for the for the meantime can't be the same. It's been ruptured. It's been hurt. It's been damaged. This lack of obedience, this lack of faithfulness, this lack of fidelity has damaged this relationship, and so now their prospects have become one filled with bitterness and pain and filled with worry and toil and hardship. That has become our lot because of this disobedience, this rejection of the original command, the one and only command God placed on them in this beautiful garden and they could not abide by it because they were tempted to be like God. They were tempted to capture divinity on their own. To be equal with God, which is of course Satan's original sin, his original rebellion. And so the blame game starts. Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent, and the serpent no doubt blames God. And you know this blame game, you can see this goes this goes right on to the very, very uh very day now. You know, you see it in little infants, you know, uh uh, my wife tells me about a uh, an incident that she, that she had with um, her little brother, and uh, he had done done something something you know childishly wrong, and and uh, and his mother asked him who did this, and he goes uh, and he goes uh, my name is my wife's name is Renita, and he goes uh, he's pro- he's probably three or four. He goes uh, maybe Juanita did it. You know, and so the blame game starts early in life, and then it continues right to the very end. Everybody blames everybody for their problems, don't we? Oh my goodness, it's their fault. It's my mother's fault. It's my father's fault. It's my wife's fault. It's it's anybody's fault but my own. I'm not going to take responsibility for this. I'm not going to take take. Uh, I'm not going to take blame for this. This blame has to be uh, has to be cast aside and 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 given to somebody else, just like Eve does with Adam, or, or Adam does with Eve, and Eve does with the serpent. Blame somebody else for uh, for my misdeeds. 
And so this blame game goes right to this day. And you see it everywhere. It's in politics. It's in, it's in education. It's everywhere. It's in personal relationships. Blame, blame, blame. Blame somebody else. And boy, it's really caught fire now. Blame. It's, it's, it's your misfortunes are always somebody else's fault. You're thinking this way and acting this way because, well, because somebody made you do it, somebody inspired it in you, and it's their fault. So I thought that was kind of kind of funny because, you know, that blame thing is just so true. You know, that's why, that's why Scripture comes alive for me because, I mean, can you get more perfect than, than all right, this blame thing starts immediately. At the first transgression, blame starts right then and there. Wasn't my fault. And so this sin that we see in, in, of, of Adam and, and, and Eve, of disobedience, continues its destructive force. Number one, it's ruptured their relationship with God. Now it's filled with, now it's filled with distrust and, and, and second-guessing, and, and this whole thing is just has, has a cloud over it now, where once it was innocent and beautiful, now it's just, now it's just been corrupted. And so sin works even more, and it works further than this, and and uh, and continues its destructive work, and it completely fulfills itself in the story of Cain and Abel, where now that relationship, that ruptured relationship between God and man, now becomes a ruptured relationship as it works as destructive work inside the soul. It becomes destructive of man's relationship with one another. And so we see it by by the enviousness that that uh, Cain feels towards towards Abel and, and the distrust. And what does he do with this with this envy and distrust? He starts to plot murder. He starts to plot how to kill Abel. And God comes to him and implores him and warns him about sin crouching at his door and how it desires to to have him. But he says. Cain, you must master it. You must master that, 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 that call of sin, that temptation. But Cain does not. The relationship and the trust between God and man is so ruptured that, that Cain doesn't want to hear it from God. He doesn't want to hear it, okay? He's got this desire to kill Abel, and he does. And he murders him in the field. I suppose he bashes his head in with a rock. Seeing that the rock seems to be such a prevalent means of, of, uh, of killing in the Middle East. And so he condemns himself now to a, to a, to a life of, uh, of wandering and exile from God. And he pleads with God, please, Lord, don't, don't do this to me. And God has mercy on him and gives him his own land. Nevertheless, there it is. I mean, now, now we've got a ruptured relationship with God. We've got a ruptured relationship with man and man completely destroys our proper relationships with another, replaces love with uh, distrust, with hate, with envy. And so now man-to-man relationships are as brutal and as self-serving and as greedy and as vile as they can possibly be. We've come to use each other, abuse each other, exploit each other, oppress each other, belittle each other, humiliate each other. And it all stems from an insecure and damaged relationship with God. 
We're no longer sure of our own standing, and so that so we we extend it out onto others, and we rage against others. So now it becomes filled with envy and jealousy, discord and factions, anger, rage and murder. And not only is man's relationship with God and his fellow man disordered, now the sin keeps working. And it keeps us just infecting relationships. And now it just, and now it goes and uh, it even corrupts. Our relationship with ourselves. We can't love ourselves as we ought to. And we pursue many courses of self-destruction. Everything is now out of balance. And it's bitter and confused. And we do things and our inner dialogue and our inner and our inner thought life is completely corrupted now. And we're always plotting evil. And we're always plotting new ways of doing evil. And we're always plotting this or plotting that. Very, very rarely giving any time to lift up our heads and be joyful because our redemption draws nigh. No, we look to the ground and we sniff around the ground for gold and other things like a, like a, like a beast of burden, always with its head in the ground looking for food and sustenance there instead of our heads looking up into the heavens and seeking God and knowing and, knowing and seeking to know Christ. We have our noses and our, and our heads and our faces stuck in the ground looking for that little bit of gold. Like the common beast. So like I said, everything is out of balance and it's bitter and confused. And everything is doubted and everything seems like it's up in the air from this one sin. Boy, what a what a what a disaster it is it is wrought. And uh So now we're capable of entering into any manner of evil. And we ponder and we invent ways. Well, if this wasn't ever done, let's try this. I mean, we plot ways to do evil far more than we plot ways to do good. We have elaborate schemes and elaborate deceptions and elaborate uh, plans to deceive and abuse and corrupt one another. And we all justify it somehow. Just as in the beginning it was justified by blame. Every action we take, every bad deed, every deed we do, somehow we justify it. We won't do anything unless we justify it. So we come up with all manner of justifications. Well, this, and, and when I did it because of this, and sometimes you just got to do what you got to do, and, and this and that, and, and boy, we just, we just won't move forward in our plans and schemes until we have thoroughly justified it in our heads. Blame is a lot, is a, is a great justification. I wouldn't do this if they hadn't done this. So it goes right back to the beginning. Like uh, uh, Solomon says, there's, there's uh, nothing new under the sun. What is, has been, and on and on. But this situation of this, 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 um, this rupture in, in uh, our relationship with God is not a, a, um, is not a predicament or a situation that God finds tolerable, that God will tolerate. It's not something that he accepts and leaves us out here as orphans. Right from the very beginning, he has a plan to redeem this whole mess. And you see it with with uh, with um, that scripture where uh, 
the woman will, will, will crush your head and, and Satan will strike his heel. Right there he's talking about Christ and, and, and Satan coming, coming to blows over this whole situation. And Christ will have the final say. So if there's going to be any restoration here, it's not going to come from men, because now, through this corruption of ourselves, there's nothing in us that we can offer to God that will make amends. We just don't have, because anything we offer Him is going to be corrupted. It's going to have some, some ulterior motive. There's going to be something wrong with any sacrifice or anything that we give to Him. It's going to be self-centered. It's going to be, uh, there's going to be some element to it that's corrupted. So nothing that's corrupted can God accept as a proper sacrifice. So this healing of this rupture has to be initiated and completed by God only. It would have to come from Him because now there's nothing in us that can restore us to Him. And God has already hinted at his plan for redemption in Genesis. And because of the absurdity of sin, we're now utterly lost. We're spiritually deaf, we're spiritually dumb, and we're spiritually blind. Cut off from the tree of life, cut off from, from, from eternal life, cut off from, from the true blessings that God intends for the human being. There's nothing in us that can erase this thing of sin now. Though many cultures have tried it in elaborate and many ways of blood sacrifices and, and animal sacrifice and even human sacrifice, all knowing that somehow something has to be sacrificed because something is wrong. Something has to be set right. And so Jews in their animal sacrifice, they're incomplete sacrifices but for the meantime that is what God orders that animals have to be sacrificed and you know in our corruption of, uh, of relationships we've now even corrupted our relationships with the natural world in that at one time God brought all these animals before Adam and he gave them a name and, and everything seemed to be uh uh, peaceful within the animal kingdom, but as soon as they sin, what happens? An animal has to be killed now to provide covering for our nakedness. So even our, in a, it's a it's a covering not only for our physical nakedness, but it's a covering for our spiritual nakedness, so that there might be some some something that covers. Or corruption. So there we are. We, I mean, we've even we've even uh, corrupted that relationship. So as soon as Adam sins or Eve sins, he begins the process of re re reconciliation, of reestablishing of friendship. When he says to Satan in Genesis that he will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And this is a prophecy of Christ 
coming to right the terrible wrong wrought by Satan. And in God, Jesus will become our justification. He will become our reconciliation. To him has been granted the ministry of reconciliation. As Jesus crushes the work of Satan by his death on the cross and his resurrection, even as Satan bruises his heel upon that cross. So in due time, God comes to us and Jesus offering us reconciliation, reconciling to himself all things, reconciling to himself us. So that we might once again share in the promises and the hope and the joy in the life of God. By the work of Jesus, he plucks us back from the dominion of death and the darkness by the power of his blood shed for us and for many. And Jesus becomes our ransom and he becomes our reconciliation to God. And we are purchased not with money or tokens, but by the very blood of Jesus Christ which is of far more value than any than any earthly object or substance. And by that sacrifice of Christ, man has been reconciled to his God, for God's demands of justice have been met on that cross as he pours out his grace upon us through that same cross. We need no longer be enemies of God. God has given us the means of reconciliation through Jesus Christ. He is the ministry of reconciliation. To him has been given that duty, that role, that honor to obey God faithfully and to reconcile man to himself. God has given us a way back. He provides us with an ark of safety. There on that cross are we reconciled. As we see Jesus upon that cross, we see the vertical beam reaching into the heavens, and we see the vertical beam and the outstretched arms reaching out to humanity, connecting heaven and earth. Reconcile. Reconciling God. Reconcile us. Reconciling us to God and reconciling us to one another. And it's at that cross that Jesus invites us all back into the love of the Trinity and into loving one another. We're now justified by Jesus' death. We're reconciled to God through Jesus. And now we are all called as ambassadors of Christ to the ministry of reconciliation. As as ambassadors of Christ, God, God sends us out there to offer and to tell the world of this reconciliation to God and to one another. The two most important commandments of all, to love our God with all our hearts, minds, and souls, and strength, and to love one another as we love ourselves. Those two commandments are now capable, are now within our grasp, through the ministry of reconciliation through Christ. Distrust and enmity no longer have the final say, but love and eternal life will have the final say. And so God makes his appeal to the world through his Son, Jesus Christ, to capture the imagination and the souls of those who would receive his word. That is the ministry that's been given to each one of us to proclaim peace to God and man, and man to his fellow man. 
to quote scripture, this is indeed the gospel that you have heard and indeed now hear. That in him who has no sin has become sin for us, so that once we were enemies of God and one another, but in Jesus we were reconciled to God by his physical death to present us holy in his sight. So we have been reconciled to God and we have been reconciled to one another. That the commandments and, and, the, and the, uh, the duty to love one another and to love our God can be fulfilled in joy. And we are bearers of this message. We are his ambassadors. We just don't sit on this, on this, on this message and, and keep it to ourselves like putting a light under a bushel. But God wants that light out there. Proclaiming reconciliation in Christ. I remember watching the movie um, Blow with Johnny Depp about a cocaine... I believe it was a true story about a cocaine dealer or some her big-time American kid that became a big-time drug dealer. But I remember this particular scene in, in where uh, Johnny Depp's character had gone out and he'd done all kinds of stuff and he was sought by the police and he was he was on the run and, and he knew that his time was coming to a close and he might not ever see his parents again. And, uh, and so he, he, uh, he decides that he's going to um, uh, go to his go to his mom and dad's house and so you know uh with great fear he didn't know what to expect he he, uh he steps up to the door knocks on it and his dad answers and they have this quiet moment and in that moment his father just shows his love for his prodigal son and he and he forgives him and, and he and he wants the the best for him but in the background, you can see his mother, stern-faced, sitting on a chair, doesn't give up, get up to greet him, doesn't have anything to say to him other than this. You are not my son. So we have two, two views of, uh, of uh, how we can deal with a, with a wayward individual. Through love and forgiveness, or through just a hard heart, and and uh, get away from me. And our Father in Heaven has chosen the way that this father of Johnny Depp's character chose. He just says he doesn't say get away from me, you evil doers. There's no chance. I cannot. I cannot bear the sight of you. I am not your God. No, he doesn't do that to us. He says, "Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden." For I am meek and gentle in heart, and I can give you rest. Come to me. He, he welcomes all of us. And the only impediment between us and a relationship with Him is us. He's a loving and forgiving Father. He's not a tyrant in heaven who wishes us to, to, to suffer because we have transgressed. No, He wishes us to repent and be with Him where He is. For he has gone there to prepare a place for us. And he wants us with him. He wants us to call us friends. Not just servants. Because friends, servants don't know the master's business, as Jesus says. But we do know the master's business. We do know his plans. We do know the broad outlines of what he wants to do. And so he calls us friends. 
He wants us as friends to sup with him, to open that door to him, to receive his word. That's the kind of God that we have. A loving, a loving God, creator of all things, in him, through him, and by him, were all things created. And so now we have this ministry of reconciliation given to us by Christ. And not only are we called to reestablish our relationship with God, but we are called to reestablish our broken personal relationships with family and friends, and even at times our enemies. Because Christ gave himself up for us even while we were yet his friends? No, his enemies. So we ought to as well, in humility, own up to the things that we have done and seek forgiveness and reconciling ourselves to others. Um, I think I'm kind of getting long in the sermon here. Uh, I'll try to wrap this up as quickly as I can. Nevertheless, I'm going to give you two personal stories of forgiveness and reconciliation. Back when I was a kid, in my senior year in, in uh, high school, I, was, uh, I, was, I got into some serious bit of trouble. I, mean, I, was, I was arrested. And, uh, you know, it was a devastating blow to uh, my mom and dad. And, and it hurts me to this day. And, um, of course, it was devastating to blow to, uh, to, to myself as well. And, uh, and that arrest has really, really uh, short-circuited my uh, plans uh, for life. And so, you know, I was really feeling, feeling terrible. I had let my mom and dad down. I was going to cost them money now. Um, I didn't know what the uh, what the final word on this whole situation was. Be I mean, I could have been spending time in jail. I mean, I could not imagine doing that. Honestly, my mom and dad having a child in jail it would it, it was just too it was too painful, and I and I was and I was feeling horrible, and I just felt like you know I, I was a useless son. I was, uh, you know, I let everybody down, betrayed everybody, my brothers and sisters and and whatever. And so my dad and my brother Fred and, and I, we were, uh, you know, tree removers and my dad was a climber and, and uh, he was, you know, we, we were on a job that Saturday. We usually took trees down Saturdays and Sundays and, and he was up in his tree doing you know what he did and my brother and I were down manning the ropes and 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 stuff like that and and uh chainsawing and clearing the brush and and whatever and you know I just I was just so depressed and and my dad I remember comes down from that tree and uh he looks at me and says Eric he says don't worry about it okay we're going to get through this everything's going to be okay And at that moment, you know, I, I realized that like God, my dad wasn't some strict authoritarian, but he genuinely loved me. And that incident, those words, those few words he gave to me, uh, it gave me hope. It, uh, you know, I could shed some of the shame and, uh, and move forward and, uh, 
And so that has always stuck with me, and and to this day, and uh, as it as it worked out, uh, it worked out as well as it could. Thanks be to God. But I needed a uh, I needed that arrest, you know, as much as I hated it at the point. But I needed to be stepped on because I was going way off the rails. So anyhow, that's my story, and then another, which is the most beautiful story of reconciliation that uh, I have ever witnessed, and uh, now I'm at uh, 33 minutes or so, but I'm going to wrap this up. But I'm going to go through this story first, and uh, so this is the most beautiful story of reconciliation I've ever witnessed, my, uh, my wife and her parents. And uh, after my wife, you know, started growing up, she went to the, uh, you know, she got into the Navy and, and uh, she just couldn't wait to get away from home. And, and uh, my, you know, she considered her, her mom and dad, you know, just kind of, you know, old time Baptists, Helen Brimstone, you know, and uh, she just couldn't abide that anymore. And, and, and the relationship became more and more strained. And she had, uh, you know, unsuccessful relationships, and 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 her she was becoming more and more displeasing to her parents, and she became a party girl, and and she the way she was going was just to her mom and dad was an abomination, and they cut off their relationship with her. They would not speak to her. They would not they would not uh, have anything to do with her for six solid years, and so in her mind she cuts off her relationship with her dad and her mom. So her parents disown her. And uh, so that relationship was completely ripped asunder. Completely uh, destroyed. But uh, God wasn't going to let that remain as it was. And so in due time, my wife receives receives Christ genuinely and uh, and after a while it dawned on her that this relationship with her mom and dad just could not be allowed to to continue and uh, they hadn't spoke to one another in six solid years and so it came to her that that she was going to go down to Delaware where her parents lived, and she was going to seek a reconciliation. And in her mind, she wasn't going to cast blame. She wasn't going to to try to justify. She wasn't going to get into any type of argument. She wasn't going to do anything but to ask forgiveness and to be reconciled to her mom and dad. And when he got down there and they met, her father's first instinct was to start laying into her. You this, and you that, and you this. And my wife said nothing. She just accepted his reproach, accepted his, his uh, interpretation of things. But after she just had no response to him, he just stopped. He was expecting a fight, and he would not give her a fight. And she would not give him a fight, excuse me. Because she wanted to reconcile with her mom and dad and she knew by God's grace by a word of knowledge from God that this was the only way and you know he stopped dead in his tracks 
and he had nothing more to say about the, the, the matter. And they were reconciled at that point. And you know, they became the best of friends right to the end of his life and her mom's life. She loved them and they loved her. She called them on the phone as often as she could. We visited them. They, she was a delight to them and she was a faithful daughter and she stayed with them and she, and she ministered to them in their sickness and in their ill health and, and, and uh, was always helping my dad with his computer. And it was just, or I mean her dad with his, with his computer. And uh, it was just, it was, it was a sight to behold. It just couldn't have been more perfect of a reconciliation. And that was wrought by God. God had put that, that impulse into her, into her spirit. And she went down and, and it was just a perfect display of reconciliation. And they truly did. They truly did become the best of friends. And they loved one another. Right to their, the very end of their of their lives, and uh, she was there, you know, at their bedside for their deaths, and uh, she ministered to them in their sickness. She always helped them as much as she could. They lived in Florida at that at this time. So there's two examples of a of an earthly reconciliation that that just give gives us a little light upon upon the workings and the ministry of Christ. So. Uh, there is power in the blood of Christ. And I encourage all of us that if you find yourself in a similar personal situation, in as much as it is possible, reconcile yourself to whoever will receive it in faith and humility and seek forgiveness and reconciliation from those you have been separated from. Because it's a great thing, and uh, and as much as possible, I know that there are some out there that 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 would not re receive any rec reconciliation, would not understand what you're doing, but it is possible. For God has not called us into this into His life so that we can hold grudges, to get even, and to settle scores, but He has called us to be a light in the darkness. To hold, to give us the ministry of reconciliation with God and one another. Ministry and a reconciliation of peace. So, uh, there you go. I got to the end of it. Sorry, this is a pretty lengthy one. But, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Jesus is our reconciliation and in Him we're encouraged and, and given the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus is our minister, is our reconciliation with God, where He has made made uh, reconciled all things to Himself in Christ. That's why I call the ministry Christ only, and uh, so there you go. Keep that in mind. The ministry of reconciliation, and I'm going to say a short prayer. Um, I would read from Ephesians, but it just is so happens that I left my Bible downstairs and I don't have it memorized. So I'm not going to do that, but we'll say a prayer and then uh, I shall bid you adieu. Father, we just uh, thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for uh, the blessings that we see and know and recognize and for the ones that, that we don't recognize and for the ones that we don't acknowledge. 
And uh, Lord, you uh, see the things done in secret, and uh, Lord, you bless those things that are done in faith and in secret. So, Father, we just thank you. Uh, we thank you for the uh, ministry of reconciliation. We thank you that God has entrusted to us uh, such an awesome uh, responsibility and privilege. Lord, uh, we, we love you and we praise you with all our hearts and our minds and souls and body. And, uh, Father, we just uh, thank you for all things. We just pray this in the precious name of our Lord and our Savior, our God and our King, Jesus Christ. Amen. I love you all in, in Christ, and uh, I'll be coming up with another podcast somewhat soon, within a week. So have a good week. Enjoy your day. Keep your heads up. Don't be looking into the ground so much. Keep your heads up and be joyful because our redemption and our salvation draw nigh. Love you all in Christ. Amen. And goodbye.